Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of January 8th through the 10th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. While there isn't a ton of news this week, at least with regard to the box office, uh, especially in comparison to the multi-week catch-up we did last week and the non-box office news going on around, uh, there are some rumblings of potential news coming, uh, which we'll cover at the end of the episode. Of course, that means with my luck, that news will drop the day this episode releases or on the day after, and we'll just have to hear about it next week. Um, in any case, let's kick things off this week with our weekly box office numbers. So domestically, in first place, we had Wonder Woman 1984 grossing $3 million in 2,218 theaters for a per theater average of $1,353, a drop of 45% versus last week. This brings Wonder Woman 84's domestic total up to $32.6 million over three weekends. The 45% week-over-week drop is a bit better than the 67% drop last week, but it's still nowhere where it needs to be in order to have great legs um, and even be able to compete with, say, where Tenet ended up being at. Um, Obviously, you know, this is affected by Warner Brothers deciding to have the split on both HBO Max and in theatrical, as well as the pandemic. Um, But by my calculations, this is, you know, not going to break even 45 USD and maybe not even 40 million, um, which again is definitely, you know, again, you know, the pandemic and, and the split decision affected this. Um, remember that deal only is for the first 30 days um, and then for the second 30 days from 31 to 60, uh, it's theatrical exclusive, though I'm not sure what the women will be in theaters in any meaningful amount at that point. Uh, in any case, internationally, Wonder Woman 84 made 4.7 million in 40 markets, coming up to 98.8 million internationally, just shy of the 100 million dollar mark. Uh, which, combined with the domestic earnings, brings its lifetime total to 131.4 million. Now, uh, one report I saw estimated that Warner will lose about probably 100 million on this film, um, and the probably is going to end up writing it off as a marketing expense for HBO Max, uh, basically. Um, in addition, you know, separate from the box office, the Rotten Tomato scores for this film has fallen below the 60% mark, officially into the rotten territory, making it the fifth of the nine DC films to do so. Uh, okay, so aside from Wonder Woman 84, in second place, we have a crude, Crude's A New Age coming in at 1.8 million in 1,751 theaters, a 19% drop with a per theater average of 1034. Um, or $1,034. In its seventh week, Crudes has totaled $36.8 million domestically and now sits at $127.8 million internationally. Uh, third place is the Oscar contender News of the World, 1.2 million in a 27% drop in 1,928 theaters, per the average of $641. This brings its domestic, which is also its worldwide, total up to $7 million in its third weekend. In fourth place is the maligned uh, Monster Hunter movie from Sony, dropping up pretty impressive, frankly speaking, 12% down to 1.1 million in 1765 theaters, per the average of $627 in its fourth weekend. Uh, domestic total is 7.81 million. Added to its international numbers, uh, international numbers brings it to 17.4 million worldwide, which means that even with this very impressive domestic drop, uh, it's nowhere near the break-even point for this film. 
Uh, rounding out the top five is Lion Gate's thriller Fatal, uh, which in its fourth weekend dropped a stunning 6% to uh, $656,000 in 1,222 theaters, per the average of $537. Uh, its domestic slash lifetime total so far is just under $4 million. Interestingly, since its opening weekend, uh, you know, it's actually added theaters every weekend, um, which is kind of like the typical, you know, somehow in this in this pandemic when everything's closed down, still kind of doing a platform release of, of slowly rolling out. Um, let's see. In honorable mention, also in the sixth place for this weekend, the other Oscar t- contender, Promising Young Woman from Focus Features, uh, dropped only 18% to $566,000 this weekend in 1,333 theaters, per through the average of $425. Lifetime total is $2.7 million in three weeks. Um, as a result of it being a Focus Features production under Universal, this one's going to actually be coming to PVOD this weekend after 17 days of release in theaters. Uh, speaking of Rodolph is coming to PVOD this weekend, the aforementioned News of the World is also coming to PVOD under that Universal deal. And Amazon's other Oscar to contender, One Night in Miami, is coming January 15th as well. Total box office for the weekend total about $9 million total, down from last week's $12.8 million. Uh, this is compared to pre-COVID, the first weekend of 2020, that wasn't the new year, uh, when 1917 went wide to $37 million US dollars, and the total box office equaled $130 Sorry, 1917 opened to $37 million, and the total box office was $132 million. Uh, moving internationally, we've already talked about Wonder Woman 1984, so let's talk about China. Uh, most of the same films we talked about last week are still up in the charts. Um, a Little Red Flower at number one with 21.9 million US dollars, down from the 81 million opening weekend over the New Year holiday, um, totaling to 160 million US dollars to date. Uh, in number two, we have Sockwave 2 with 11.8 million US dollars this weekend, totaling 149 million. Um, in number three is Warm Hug, 10.6 million US this weekend, to- totaling to 103.9 million. And finally, Pixar's Soul opened to 6.4 million US dollars this weekend in fourth place, totaling in China so far 36.1 million, uh, with a high the total worldwide gross sitting at 47.3 million. That 36.1 million is just behind Finding Dory at number three for the highest Pixar film of, in China of all time, with 38.4 million, and it's about four million away from beating the live-action Mulan remake. Uh, hopping over to another Asian country, Japan, uh, like I said last week, not too much more on the Demon Slayer story, but I will note that it did lose its number one spot. Finally, for the first time after 12 weeks on top, uh, you know, the lo- they lost it to the another anime film, the long-running uh, popular shonen uh, samurai film uh, manga Gintama is having its final movie, uh, Gintama the Final. Um, official numbers have yet to be released due to a holiday on Monday in Japan, um, but at the time of recording, the estimate from World of KJ uh, is Gintama hit 2.8 million US dollars while Demon Slayer fell to 2.7 million US dollars. Um, in addition, you know, Demon Slayer likely this weekend snuck past Tenet to be the number four film from 2020 uh, with these weekend numbers. Um, you know, it likely won't be the Bad Boys for Life and other Chinese films atop the list until it releases in China and the US. Um, that being said, you know, Japan has declared a state of emergency due to a spike of COVID cases in the country. 
meaning movie theaters and other businesses are going to have an 8 p.m. curfew for the time being. Uh, this is actually going to affect another popular anime film that could have done well otherwise coming up. Uh, the fourth rebuild of Evangelion film was slated to come out on midnight January 23rd, um, but now it's not going to be able to have the midnight release. Uh, speaking of another Japanese film, though, actually, the latest uh, Studio Ghibli film, uh, Earwake and the Witch, directed by Goro Miyazaki, the son of Hayao Miyazaki, uh, is set to have its U.S. release next month. Uh, the first ever 3D animated project from the studio is going to have a limited release in the U.S. theaters, uh, partnered with Fathom Events um, on February 3rd, and it'll be joining the rest of the Ghibli film streaming on HBO Max uh, on February 5th. Uh, for you Oscar aficionados out there, this is Probably going to be one nominated for animated film, in my opinion, uh, so definitely worth checking it out. Uh, now, now that we're on HBO Max news, we might as well talk about it some more um, and some other Warner Brothers news. Uh, first up, we have the fact that Walter Hamada is renewed his deal as DC Film President. Uh, make of that what you will, depending on what your opinion is on the DC Universe so far. Um, I'm not going to put my opinion here. Um, next up, uh, speaking of the DC Universe, uh, I, last week we reported that the Michael Keaton was su supposedly going to have a second Batman saga. Uh, turns out it was confirmed this week after that rumor that it's actually just going to be a cameo in the upcoming Flash movie. So my bad, guys. Uh, sorry for that faulty reporting. Um, now, the big news, though, obviously, it, that, that Warrior of the Brothers has been associated with it for the past month or so, um, you know, after the HBO Max deal, when they announced, you know, to the surprise of everyone, including the talent, that they would be having that split theatrical release, um, there was a big kerfuffle with the talent agencies and the directors and actors and, and other studios partnering with them to release films um, about not being warned ahead of time and how this would potentially impact their financial back-end deals. Um, so it looks like there's approaching a deal with all the talent to make them whole um, which again in my opinion definitely should have been done ahead of time um, the excuse that you know they didn't want this to leak out in advance um, isn't isn't the reason to sort staff and, and not respect people like this um, basically what they're going to be doing is they're going to treat uh, the threshold of film needs to gross in theaters in order to trigger a payout um, they're going to have that so say you're a director you have a film that you know needs to make a hundred million dollars worldwide to get some percentage of total revenue. Now that threshold that you need to hit is only 50 million total. Um, and that 50 million threshold could go down even more the more theaters are closed down in the event of future spikes, a so-called COVID multiplier. So, you know, maybe if it's, you know, 30, maybe if it's down from, you know, only about 40% of theaters are open right now, if it goes down to, you know, only 10% of theaters, it may be as low as, you know, uh, 10, you know, you only make 10, 10 million uh, out of 100 million, you know, cutoff mark. Um, in addition to this, uh, profit participants uh, who rely on these high box office numbers will also get profit sharing um, from both on-demand as well as online sales and presumably some way that they're going to get from uh, figuring out how many HBO Max subscriptions there are. Um, now, you know, there's another fact that also HBO Max is going to pay Warner Brothers, so technically they're two different business entities within um, AT&T, uh, they're basically going to pay themselves a licensing fee in order to um, they're going to pay Warner Brothers, the studio, a licensing fee for the films for that th first 30-day split theatrical release. Um, 
that licensing fee is going to be split also among the profit participants as well as the cast and crew. Uh, I'm presuming through the pension plan that the various guilds have in place with the studios. Um, normally, that isn't that that kind of deal wouldn't be paid out to profit participants or, or would not be paid out to uh, the, the the cast and crew members. So they're expanding the number of people who would get paid. Again, I think this is mostly to, to appease the guilds. Okay, so what does this mean, right? So basically, the long answer that most people are interpreting it is that Warner's is going to tell everyone, like, look, we're just going to assume, in sort, your films, if they were to have released in the box office, would have been a smashing success. Uh, whether or not that that would be the case is or true is true or not, who actually knows? But everyone presumably will get paid out on the back end. Um, this this move definitely, I don't, I can't speak for the talent side of things, but on the eight on the Warner and AT and T side, this definitely shows they're really serious about pulling out all of the stops to basically make sure that HBO Max subscriber base uh, will continue to grow over the course of this year um, and presumably you know to keep the talent happy to create more content for HBO Max in the future. Now it's yet to be seen if the Chris Nolans and the Dennis Villanueves and whoever else of the world will be sated and continue to work with Warner in the future after you know the kerfuffle of you know uh, the, the the somewhat disrespect of not you know letting them know it in advance and also letting, and it's also TBD if various contracts that explicitly call for a theatrical-only release, such as Will Smith's King Richard, uh, will be shifted over to HBO Max as well. Um, also notably, this change is reportedly reportedly only for the 2021 uh, calendar year, and will after that, uh, in 2022, we'll be going back to the old contracts. Um, now, uh, there was one other specific call out here, the legendary Warner Brothers situation. So Legendary obviously has Godzilla vs. Kong, um, which you know was apparently going to be picked up by Netflix for $250 million before this all went down. Um, apparently they're going to be they're close to resolving a deal on this. Um, TBD on exactly how much they pay, but we'll see if it gets close to that $250 million Netflix deal. Um, in addition, Legendary is also backing Dennis Villanueva's demands that apparently do Dune uh, gets a exclu- theatrical exclusive release later this year. Um, so we'll see if they end up budgeting on that. No news on that yet. If they do, though, there is that would set the precedent that other um, kind of partnership deals, right, where Warner isn't owning and producing the film themselves, but working with another studio to produce the film and they're just distributing it, such as most notably Matrix 4 coming up. Uh, if that could be the case, if Dennis you know, can demand that, then the Wachowskis, for example, could, could demand something similar. All right, so that's all the, the Warner Brothers news. Um, Warner Brothers aside, there's some other corporate news to touch on real quickly. Um, AMC, you know, has put me through a bit of a roller coaster last week. Uh, on the fifth, it was reported that they had raised only about 200 million of the 750 million they needed to stay afloat through the end of the year. Um, in addition, they were not apparently eligible for the COVID relief package that was passed in Congress, uh, basically making it unlikely that you know uh, AMC would last uh, even past the first quarter of this year. And then the very next day on the 6th, it was reported that they were trying to leverage its European assets to raise some cash. Um, they have a number of theaters over in the UK and in England, specifically Odeon Theaters, I believe. Um, so they're you know, basically using that as collateral to try to you know, get some borrowing uh, there. Um, and then on the 7th, apparently they found uh, they found somehow that there was $600 million of the way there, some combination of this European assets plus someone else lending them another $100 million plus uh, raising additional funds on the open market. Market, such as uh, with with retail traders, such as you know people using Robinhood. I guess people are you know 
buying low and hoping to sell high down the line, you know, retail consumers, not the institutional investors. Um, so apparently there's 600 million of the 750 million they need there. I mean, who knows where it's going to end up. Uh, and this is not financial advice. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying one way or another whether or not you should invest uh, in AMC, but, you know, we'll, we'll see where it ends up. Um, let's see, Roku. Uh, we mentioned last week that they had actually conf- they were working on a deal with Quibi, uh, RIP, to pick up all of their orphan shows. Um, and that deal went through and was confirmed this week. Um, in addition, Roku released that they had hit 51.2 million accounts in 2020, uh, with total numbers of streaming hours up 55% uh, in 2020. In line with the report we saw last week, that streaming overall had about I think 50% more subscribers than expected in terms of growth. Um, speaking of streaming, uh, with The Office coming to Peacock off of Netflix, uh, apparently the pricing levels it was shown for the platform is actually going to be depend on how much Office you want to watch. Uh, for free, you can get the first two seasons of The Office, um, and then you can get all of The Office for $5 a month, and then you can get all of The Office ad-free for $10 a month. So just kind of interesting how they're tying their identity so closely to The Office. Uh, we'll see if that, if that hurts or helps them down the line. Uh, on the Disney side of things, this is more production type st- st- some notes. Um, one, uh, Doctor Strange has apparently paused production in London due to the COVID lockdowns going on there. Uh, two, apparently one of the creators from the upcoming Disney MCU, Disney Plus MCU show Loki, uh, is tapped to write the up- an upcoming Kevin Feige Star Wars film. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Uh, which, by the way, reminder that, that that WandaVision is coming to Disney Plus this weekend, so that'll be big for Disney Plus. Uh, we'll see how the, if there's any movement in numbers there. Uh, and then finally, Kevin Feige, uh, speaking of him, also confirmed that Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool is coming to the MCU and will remain R-rated, though it won't be anytime soon, probably 2023 at the earliest. Um, in addition, he also gave some notes on exactly how many episodes and how long various MCU Disney Plus shows would be. And finally, not quite corporate, but might as well put it here, uh, France is extending its various cultural venues shut down until the end of January as uh, various strains of COVID wreck across uh, the country there. All right, uh, to wrap up the show, um, these aren't quite fully set for the most part, but we are starting to see murmurs that there might be uh, another wave of possible delays coming to studio from the studios for their films uh, in Q1. Um, you know, obviously the first wave of delays uh, was back, you know, when COVID first hit, you know, in, in March. Um, and then you know, there was like a mini push, you know, for where um, things got pushed out to, you know, beginning of Q3, you know, August and, and September, Um when theaters reopened again, but then the next major push, right, uh, wave two of delays was when, you know, uh, Seoul went, ended up going to, uh, when most of the stuff in November and December ended up getting pushed out of theaters. So um, this would presumably, I would call it probably the beginning of the third wave of delays coming. Um, first up, relatively minor, uh, a smaller studio, um, Lionsgate, set their comedy Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, uh, featuring Kristen Wiig uh, for a PVOD release on February 12th. Uh, moving to the major studios, we have Paramount, uh, who sold the co- Oscar contender Billie Holiday versus the United States around Christmas time to Hulu. Um, they actually finally removed it from the theatrical slate, so confirming they're not going to be handling any limited run releases that they would be doing for Oscar consideration. So it's in Hulu's court to see if we'll get a, a, that limited theatrical release. Um, the next major film on Paramount's slate in the meantime, with everything else having been sold off to another streaming platform so far, would be A Quiet Place Part 2. Two currently set for April twenty third. 
moving to Sony, the other kind of made, uh, confirmed uh, moving date uh, is um, the Colum- Sony's also Columbia Pictures. Um, the Spider-Man Cinematic Universe film Morbius, starring Jared Leto as the vampiric villain uh, in the title, moving from March 19th to October 8th of this year. Um, so kind of that's the first waves of, you know, uh, if we don't have any confirmation, you know, with, with the relatively slow rollout of the vaccines here in the States, um, compared to what people were hoping for, um, that, you know, we may not get the vaccine as much by the end of Q1 as we were hoping. So, you know, they're starting to move these major films out to, you know, Q3 or Q4. Um, interestingly, though, they are not moving the Camilla Cabello Cinderella film off of its February 5th release date. Uh, Universal hasn't made any moves yet since they do have that sort of window deal with AMC and Cinemark. Their next major film is the action thriller Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk on February 26th. That said, it is rumored that the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious movie, currently set for May 28th, may be pushed back. Um, that one definitely relies on strong international lum- numbers, and you know, with a lot of countries still not entirely sure, you know, a lot of Europe is still being closed down. We're not sure if if it's going to be if Fast and Furious. Is going to be uh, able to release and, and be good enough. They were one, remember they were one of the films to just immediately push back a full year, no doing it you know two or three months at a time. Um, and again, given that there will be a need to be a huge amount of marketing for Fast and the Furious, uh, they're definitely going to want to you know get that out sooner rather than later um, and push it back if they are going to, so they don't have that additional marketing cost. Um, and of course, you know they do have that you know short window deal, but I think that's meant for smaller studio films mostly. I don't think they want to be doing this with their uh, giant tentpole Fast and the Furious franchise films. Um, another similar film to this is actually MGM's Bond film, No Time to Die, which is being distributed by Universal in international markets. Um, this is currently set for April 2nd, but the, again, there are rumors uh, that apparently it's going to be moved back to November again for this year. So uh, we'll see when No Time to Die uh, has its time in the sun. Uh, and then finally, uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, obviously, we have Warner Brothers. You know, the, the 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 other major studio has their HBO Max deal. So, you know, any any other news there, you know, we'll we'll let you know when that happens. But no no major news from from Warner Brothers in that regard. Um, and then Disney, right? Their next major theatrical release, um, you know, on the schedule, theatrical only release. Sorry, on the schedule is the Kingsman prequel coming on March twelfth. Reminder that they do have the mixed release of Why and the Last Dragon on March fifth, theatrical and uh, premiere access. However. The big rumor on the block is that Black Widow, which has been pushed back a year at this point um, to May 7th, um, may also be getting that mixed premiere access release alongside a theatrical release since it doesn't seem feasible to push back Phase 4 of the MCU anymore, which Shang-Chi apparently slated for later this summer uh, and then The Eternals slated for this October coming uh, Q4. So we'll see if that p- comes to pass. Apparently the rumors, uh, the, the word from Disney is that that is not the plan. Though of course you know they did say that that, that wouldn't be the plan with uh, Soul either. So we'll see what the mouse decides to do. Anyway, again, beyond the Morbius uh, delay, none of these are truly set in stone yet, but we will keep an ear to the ground to see if any of these rumors end up having a grain of truth to them. In any case, that's an end to this episode of the podcast. A uh, very light one this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll ha- we'll see what news comes next week. Uh, Suit me any ideas for what I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. Uh, if you can leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on podchaser.com or even just share a link with your friend, uh, that would be super helpful. Links to those will all be in the show notes. 
The numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at thecompotech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. <laughs>